This morning, if you would, go to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4, and many of you will already know where I'm going with this story. Uh, this is a, quite a famous story in the Bible, a memorable one, and about two brothers. And so it kind of strikes a chord with me because, uh, well, I have a brother. <clears throat> brothers always fight. They say, and you know, uh, there's a different kind of fighting with brothers. You know, like if you try to jump in from the outside, then they both turn on you. But uh, among each other, it's, it's nose to nose. Notice this story from uh, Genesis 4, and I want to springboard off of that into some, some, uh, some more ideas on this, this idea of righteousness that we've been talking about. Notice, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought uh, to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Let us pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Your Word is powerful. It is alive. It's alive because the Holy Spirit, the ultimate author of these words, is with us and able to speak to us today. And so, Lord, we need a word from You. I need a word from You today. I don't need the human word, but Yours. Give us that. Give us that, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Back in the day, there used to be these things called car phones. Some of you were around when they first were invented. And, you know, it's this big, basically, landline inside of your vehicle. You understand what I'm saying by a landline? I mean, it had a cord and everything, and it was big time. I mean, you're talking about big... Now, apparently, we're going back to some of this stuff, going big, you know, in these, these cell phones, like the Note 4, basically having a laptop up to your ear, you know. But I guess we're coming full circle on some of it. But used to, you know, I mean, just imagine the first people who had a car phone. I mean, they were, they were pumped about that. I mean, you know, sitting here talking, I mean, you can see the little, little swivel or, or spring-like cord, you know, and yeah, you know, uh, right on, you know. And so, I mean, it was a thing of, of maybe pride. It was, they were happy about it. I mean, this was a new thing. You could talk while driving down the road. Who would ever even have thought of that, you know? I mean, back in the day, who would have ever even thought of such a thing? And, and yet, from that one spark of innovation comes, of course, the cell phone which probably every one of you has very close to your person right now. I mean, there's not many of us in this room that are, that are not going to have a cell phone that's literally touching us. 
um, especially seeing how much they cost now, we want to make sure they're extremely close to us. And they are close to us in more than one way than just the physical way. We feel like we need them. They have become a necessary part of our life. We don't even know what to do without our cell phone. Where We feel lost. We feel like having no wedding ring on it makes you feel, you know, you just feel like you're, you're in a sense naked, missing something. And yet, when this spark of innovation of having a, you know, phone, being able to talk to people on the phone, driving on the road occurs, no one really saw the unintended consequences. You say, what do you, what do you mean? Well, no one would have guessed how important cell phones would have become the first car phone that was given. I mean, if you did, then you're going to be rich, you know, which is really hard to do. It's really hard to guess these things. Um, no one really foresaw how many deaths would occur because of cell phone usage while texting. I, I mean, having that big phone that you would have never really thought that it would have come one day to where text messaging even would be something that's important at all. And yet it was. It was an unintended consequence that many people die each year or distract or have wrecks and cause bodily harm because they're on their cell phone. They can't, they can't get their eyes away from it. Also, there have been many marriages to be affected by cell phones. I mean, now you basically have the world at your fingertips. And cell phones, if you've ever noticed, being around people, you know, especially college students and whatnot, I've noticed that people guard their cell phones. You don't touch my cell phone, bro. You don't mess with my cell phone. That's, that's like the cardinal sin in our modern world is you don't mess. I mean, if I picked up your cell phone, you know, hey, this is pretty nice. Hey, whoa, 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 oh, okay, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we were on vacation and, and I, we needed a picture and Justin's like, just ask somebody. I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, you know, <laughs> this, this, is a, this is a pretty expensive device I just got. You know I mean? I, I'm not just going to hand it off to anybody to take a picture of me. Um, and our family. So... Unintended consequences. I mean, who would have really foresaw that marriages would have been affected in a negative way, relationships even affected in different ways because of a, uh, an innovation of a car phone? I mean, who really would have seen that? Now, I say that to say this. In the Bible, <laughs> there are some unintended consequences for the things that humans get themselves wrapped up in. But there are also some intended consequences that Jesus, that the Father, that the Holy Spirit has in mind for us. In other words, things that He did on purpose that we may not understand, but that affect us in an intentional way. So where I want to begin is, well, again with the beginning. <laughs> it's hard to get away from the beginning. Genesis really is the framework of the rest of the Bible. If you don't know Genesis, you're not going to understand the rest of the Scripture. You don't know why we're in the mess we're in. You don't know why we need God's salvation. You don't understand what, what Peter is saying here when he says he must suffer. When Jesus is teaching them that the Messiah must suffer and die. It makes zero sense. Why can't he just wave his wand? I thought he was all powerful. Why does he have to come in human form? Why does he have to suffer? The Scripture 
goes to great lengths to make sure we understand that God in Jesus Christ actually suffered for our sin. Why? You know, see again, ooh, as I break this um, thing I'm above behind me. When we come to the Scripture, if we only diet on the New Testament, then we're only reading the answer and we have no idea what the problem is. No clue at all what the problem is. We're deficient. We're anemic. And so this is one reason why I've forced myself to find each of the topics that we're going to cover in the Old Testament, to ground it in what was written first. Ground it in what Jesus Himself would have known. Paul, Peter, these guys. That was the only testament they were working off of until Jesus institutes the new one. Until they write the new one. They're not looking at old. Te- I mean, new, a New Testament copy. So, let's begin in Genesis 3, after the good creation that we talked about last week. And we see that Adam and Eve sin. But now that they have sinned, that is then passed on to their children. You would think that sin would be contained in your own body, in your own person. I mean, this is what you hear today, isn't it? In our modern cultures. Look, when I do something wrong, it's only affecting me. People plead with you. This only affects me. This is my body. I get to do what I want to with my body. And it's like screeching in my ears because it sounds like a little brat child screaming at God. This is mine. This is mine. And screaming at me. This is mine. Uh, where'd you get it from? Well, you bought it. Hmm. Okay. Well, now I'm going to take it away. And throw it in the garbage and burn it. That's what I tell them at least. I don't really do that, but I should. No, it's not your body. Never forget, um, I tell this story often, probably too much, but a guy from my dad's church uh, worked at Huntsville Hospital for a little bit, and he was assisting a um, cardiologist there. And uh, they came to the lady, you know, her husband had had, I don't know, some kind of wild heart surgery, you know, that they didn't know if he was going to make it out of or not. And they came into that little waiting room where she's waiting to hear the news, you know, and he comes in, he says, hey, everything went well. We were able to do this. We were able to do that. He, he's, he's fixed up. He's ready to go. And she's, oh, thank God. He said, why are you thanking him? I'm the one who did the surgery. That's one way to live life. To act as if you are God. I mean, did He create the anesthesia? Did He control the temperature in the hospital? Did He make the floor? Did He build and architecturally design the hospital, the room that He was working from? Any of the instruments? Any of the procedures? Was, were they copyrighted by Him? Like, He did all of that? Really? Absolutely not. From the Gauls all the way down to the knowledge that was shared with him wasn't his doing. He was part of it. He was part of it. But he didn't do the whole thing. He didn't do the healing. No, ultimately, just as Maddie traced back for us to the cord, when you go, you know, all these different cords, when you finally find the source, 
It's going to be God. You see, the first sin was us trying to be God. We took matters into our own hands. Isn't that what sin always is? No, not your way, but mine. You say this, but I'm going to do this. You know, this is the philosopher's Descartes, his quote, I think, therefore I am. He crawled into a black pot and said this. What's the meaning of that? It's not anything really profound. It's the fact that you can doubt God, therefore He knows He exists. That's what it's based upon. You read the whole context. It's, he says, I can doubt God, therefore I know I exist. But is that existence? Doubting God? Crawling into a black pot? Sounds like quite a life to me. No. No, no, no. Notice our text today. Now sin goes from a marriage to a family, to brothers, to fratricide, brotherly murder. And you know, there's much to talk about here and we just don't have the time to do it. But ultimately, God accepts Abel's sacrifice. He does not accept Cain's. We're not told why explicitly. It probably had something to do with the heart. You know, even if you do the right things, you check off all the boxes of what you're told to do and be as a Christian. If you don't love God, you're missing the whole boat. It's about loving God. Your obedience comes out of loving God. Just if my sons, my four sons, if they did everything I told them to but didn't love me, I would feel a failure. I want them to ultimately love me as their dad. You see, when we failed God, there were some unintended consequences. They didn't, I mean, you see it right there in Genesis 3, right? They take of the fruit. They're trying to be like God, remember? Eve, sitting there reasoning with the serpent. The serpent says, look, God doesn't want you to take this fruit because He knows that you will be like Him. Now that's a great thing to pursue, right? Being like God? Shouldn't we all want to be like God? And yet, she takes of the fruit and eats. Takes matters into it. Was directly forbidden not to take of the fruit. Took it anyway to try to be like God. The opposite happened, didn't it? She tried to hide from God. They began to argue among themselves. Their innocence was lost. You know, people today will make fun of you if you haven't done certain things. This happened to me all throughout high school. Oh, you hadn't done that? <laughs> wow, this guy's a real noob. He, had, he has no idea about life. C.S. Lewis makes a great point. He says, the person who indulges in sin doesn't know how strong temptation is. You say, that doesn't make any sense, man. I mean, the guy who's you know, addicted to women or addicted to this or that, I mean, he's got to know. I mean, he, he just can't even hardly help himself. It, temptation is so... No, 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 no. It's the person who has resisted for 50 years and never indulged 
That's where temptation is the strongest. Not in those who... It's easy to be bad. That's the point. And yet it's applauded in our society. It, I mean, you want, you want to get on the news? Do something stupid. Do something bad. Blow something up. Kill some people. That's how you get on the news. Nobody's going to reward you for going to speed limit. But they'll let you know when you're not. This is the way our world works. It's not the way God works. He rewards those, the Bible says, who diligently seek Him. Not seek their own. Not seek the things of this world. You see, something changed in us. Death was brought to us. It was introduced to humanity. God did not introduce death. This was an unintended result of our sin. You say, why do you keep saying our sin when Adam and Eve did it? Because it affected all people that came from Adam and Eve. Adam being mankind, Eve being the mother of all living. That's what those two terms mean. That means everybody. That means every single person in this room. This is why the Scripture is able to say, there is no one that is righteous. No, not one. Which, by the way, that's Romans. And yet he's quoting from the Psalms. And yet, something remains in us that God empowers. By His grace, we are not just a dead leaf. Yes, we're dead in our trespasses. We are not able to pick ourselves up off the ground. And yet, by His grace, something in us remains that He can work with. In other words, you say, man, and this is always an anomaly to me. You know, it, it always is troubling, really, when you see this happen. And that is some guy at work that you know is just, he hates God, he hates the things of God. He's, you know, complete agnostic or atheist or whatever the word is of the day. And yet he's a good person. You know, he does good things for people. He does way better things than you. I mean, he treats people kindly. And that's always kind of boggles the mind for us. We don't nearly know what to do with that sometimes. Well, you know what? John will tell us in John 1 that Jesus is the light that lights every person coming into the world. Now, does that mean that that person's good works get him to heaven? Absolutely not. Even our best works, our good works, are filthy rags. That's what Isaiah says. Now that term he uses there has to do with a feminine product. I'll let you fill in the rest. That's what Isaiah describes our best works as. That's our best work. If we, you know, when we, we, in other words, we cannot work our way to God. He must come to us. His grace must come to us. And this is what we call provenient grace. You say, oh, now come on now. Don't be using these these big words. You do at work. I mean, I hear all you engineers talking. Y'all use some massive acronyms. And it boggles the mind that you can remember all these different ways of talking. I, I mean, I, I'm clueless. when you, know, you tell me what you do for a living, and I still don't know what you do for a living. Uh, so don't come at me saying, hey, don't be using big words, man. We're talking about God. We're not just talking about how to design a missile. We're talking about God Himself. We're going to have to use sometimes some big words. This term, provenient 
grace means the grace that goes before us. Now, I've already mentioned several times in our service already that God is with us and that He goes before us. That is the promise in Scripture. It's the promise that I'm talking about here. Notice, you say, how are you going to tie this back to Genesis 4? Well, right now, game time. Notice what God says to Cain. Look at it. In your, by the way, you have Bibles right there in front of you in your, in your pews or chair, chairs. Sorry. Um, here's what he says. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? Now, <clears throat> he was angry because God did not accept his sacrifice. Remember, he brought fruit from the ground and it was not accepted. Now, again, we could spend 45 minutes, which we're not, on why. I've got some ideas, but I'm not going to share them right now. And it says his face fell. He was depressed. He was angry. Now, I've got a great representation of this. It's Baylor, my son Baylor. When something doesn't go right for Baylor, he's always done this ever since he was a small kid. It used to be more dramatic. It's getting less. We got him to do it for us recently just for fun, and it was funny. But, you know, you say, you say um, he says, Mama, can I have some ice cream? No, babe, we, we're about to have... Hmm. This is what he does. He clams up. He closes up and he puts his head down. I mean, just boom. It's, it, every time I read this, I think, oh, Baylor, yeah. That's, you know, Cain, Cain's doing a Baylor, right? Or Baylor's doing a Cain. Um, his face fell. He was angry. He closed up. Notice what God says to him. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Again, righteous. Right. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Now, isn't that quite an image? Have you ever felt sin crouching at your door? Yes, you have. Conviction. Conscience. Even people that, that are good and you know, whatever else. I mean, even bad people. save some psychos, have conscience. Even people who say they're relativists, if we were to take a small baby and say, okay, well, I mean, if everything is relative, then you can, you can chop this baby into a hundred pieces. Do it. Ah, no, no, <laughs> You know, culturally, societally. No, 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 why? Why? Keep pushing. Why? Why? It's because something in us God is working with. I don't know what it is, but it's something. He gives Cain a choice. That's the point here. Cain's not so dead and out of it that he can't make a choice here. That he's just totally entrapped. Instead, what happens is God, listen to me, God empowers a choice. Notice I'm saying God does this. It is all by His grace, and yet He wants us to choose Him. You say, well, you know, I mean, I've heard people say that once God does something, it can't be undone. And I mean, that makes sort of sense, right? I mean, you would think if God does something, man, you're not going to undo what God did. I mean, Eve did. 
right up front. I mean, do you think that was God's desire? For them to be disobedient? Of course not. He has to kick his plan, which he already knew was going to happen because of his foreknowledge. You say, well then, why would he create us knowing that we would fail him? That's a good question. I'm going to let you put that in your spiritual pipe and smoke on it for a little while. It's a good one. And at the end of the day, it's because of love. God is love. Love cannot be forced unless you erase love. Now, machines can be controlled, right? You know, we do it all the time. When you play video games, when you play with your phone, you are controlling that machine. God is not in the business of simply controlling us. That's boring. That's why people are so tough. I don't mean strong. I mean tough to deal with. That's why people are so fascinating is because you cannot control them. I don't control Jessica. I don't control my kids. Not in this sort of way that we're talking about. Now when we talk about, hey man, you need to control your kids. We don't mean I'm pushing a button and they do something automatically. No, they're persons. They're persons that must be loved. You see, God thought it best this world. Not your world, not the world that you thought of, but this world. Even with the suffering, love was the more excellent way. That's a tough one, isn't it? It's pretty early to be talking about this kind of stuff, right? Everybody still with me? Everybody okay? Take a deep breath, say, whew, this is some heavy stuff. It is. It is heavy. And yet here God gives Cain choice. He says, look, if you do the right thing, you'll be right. Everything will be well. If you don't, sin is crouching at the door and there's going to be some unexpected, unintended consequences. You've felt this in your own life before. You've done some things. You've entangled yourself up in some stuff that you never meant to happen We all have. The good news is no matter what you're going through, no matter what you have got yourself, no matter how many knots you've tied in your life to obstruct God's grace, He can overcome. Do you believe that? He can be victorious in your life. You cannot. I cannot. But He can be victorious. Victorious, He can overcome sin in your life. It's crouching at your door. It's like a wild animal that you don't know what it's going to do when it pounces on you. That's the idea here. It's right outside His door. And if you turn the knob, you're turning into something that you don't know how it's going to come out. The good news is, He has a plan. He has a way for each and every single one of us, me included, thanks be to God, that He knows the way. It's an intended way out to be victorious. 
Somebody needs to hear that in this room. I need to hear that in this place. That's good news. He has laid before us a choice if you will choose Him. You say, well, God does it all. Not according to the Bible. No, He lays His grace on everything that we do. Yes, His grace undergirds everything, but He will not force you to love Him. How could you? How is that love? It's not. It's the one thing that the Nazis never could get the Jews to do. Never could force them to do. They could force you to kill your own children. They could force you to do atrocious things. They could never force you to love them. That's not how love works. No, instead, this is a relationship. And if it's a relationship, then you have a real response this morning. You can say no to God. You can resist His grace. This is why the Bible is filled with warnings. If you don't follow me, these things will happen. Read Deuteronomy alone and try to tell me there's no choice involved. Choose you this day who you will serve. We think of Adam and Eve, they chose their own way. We think of Cain, who ultimately chose his own way. We think of the children of Israel, who chose not to go into the land. Now, did God just say, oh, no, 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 guys, we're going in anyway, buddy. I don't care what you want to do, we're going in. No. Two of them wanted to go, ten of them didn't. God said, fine, have the desert then. You'll die in your sins. There's a place to go for those who don't want to be with God. It's called hell. Saul, who was God's chosen king, rejected God to preserve himself. And the Bible says the Spirit left him. Solomon, who was the wisest man in the world, the Bible tells us, that wisdom was given by God, and yet when he was old, his pagan wives turned his heart away from God. Ezekiel has a vision right at the beginning of his book. And he's transported to the temple. And he goes through and the the priests are worshipping images on the wall. Even some of them pornographic images on the wall. Animals of all kind which represented different gods. He then moves to the outer part of the temple where the women are weeping for Tammuz which they would have sacrificed babies for. And then he goes outside of the temple and they're worshiping the sun god. Then he has a vision that the Spirit leaves the holy place and moves to the gate on the east where you enter. 
And then from there, the Spirit goes from there to the Mount of Olives. And He's not seen again. The Spirit left. The Spirit was grieved, was quenched from the very elect people of God. Paul will warn us in Romans, he'll say, if God cut off His own people, who are you to think that He's not going to cut you off whom He's grafted in? You Gentiles. Think of the rich young ruler who has God standing before him and he cannot let go of his riches in order to embrace the way of God. And the Bible says he went away sorrowful. Think of Judas Iscariot, one of the chosen, elect disciples of Jesus, an apostle planned to be and yet not because of his choice of money. The list goes on and on. Now, that doesn't leave it all in our court. You say, well, you're just saying that you know, we're in charge of our salvation. I'll choose this day and then the next day I'm not going to... No, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that there are certain moments in your life that God brings you to. There are certain times where there, are, there is sin that is crouching outside of your door. And if you don't go to Him in those moments, there are unintended consequences that are out of your control. I'm saying that no one comes to God unless the Father draws him. I'm saying that the Holy Spirit must awaken you. He must convict you of your sin. He must call you. You don't just come on your own. You're not in charge. I'm not in charge. And yet, He tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy. Do not let anything this morning get in your way of God's righteousness. Of pursuing His face. You know... (laughs) Paul calls preaching foolishness, and it is. I mean, there, there's, we could go on for days. I could plead on for hours. But it's not necessary. You've heard enough this morning. The Spirit has already said enough right in here. If you reject God today, I can't. there's no promise for you. Zero promise of what could happen. So you're just trying to scare me. No, I'm not. Just trying to be for real. I, I don't like scaring people. I don't like to be scared. But I do like to be real. Count the cost. 
Cain didn't. And he killed his brother. What have you done to produce death in your life? What have I done? The only right response is to repent and believe. It's the message Jesus came preaching. Repent and believe. If you've been awakened to your condition, if you have heard the call of God, do not quench the Spirit. Go to Him. Plead with God for His mercy. And He'll give it to you. When you seek His face, everything else is going to be taken care of, Jesus says. Jesus has some intended consequences for you this morning. Some that He's designed just for you. I have no idea what they are. No idea. No clue. But He knows. Do you want those promises? Do you want that righteousness that He has for you? Being made right with God, right with others? He can do that. He can do that today. He can do that now. It must be done now. Respond to Him. Choose this day who you're going to serve. You'll never regret choosing Jesus. Jesus, the one who's already prepared the way. He's already done everything necessary. Now it's your turn to respond to that love. Respond in true faith and good works. Amen.